Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 117. All right, guys. How's it going? Are you fantastic? Are you busy f- working away on fixing your iOS 11 issues with all your apps that you have out there? Yeah, so far, I haven't encountered too much with my apps. I've definitely run into a few uh, weird glitches with some other apps. Uh, I am going through and updating to Swift 4 and playing around with Codable, but uh, no major impact with Swift uh, Swift 4 or iOS 11 yet. Okay. Yeah, I haven't had anything major happen either. We're Like I said last week, we were just doing kind of some updates to fix some bugs and give us uh, subtitles in the App Store and that kind of thing. So <laughs> You did Sorry, notice subtitles. <laughs> You didn't notice some uh, changes in the App Store on iOS 11, didn't you? Oh, yeah, there's this one thing uh, that was kind of weird. So we were searching for our app name after we released with the subtitle to see how it affected things. And the second search result we got, I think, there was like a a search result that was just like a developer. And when you tapped on it, it like would give you kind of that App Store page where you can see all of a developer's apps and they kind of auto-generated uh, like a image for it ba- with a bunch of our app icons so I thought that was kind of interesting that that's a they're doing something in their in their SEO or in their search rankings that makes those developer pages come up now um, I don't know if they, it's like a conglomeration of all your keywords and names or what but do you have bundles for your apps do you sell anything no, as a bundle I have no <laughs> bundles um it just started showing up, and this may be something they're just experimenting with, and it goes away in beta 5. I don't know. So I'm curious if anyone else sees anything like that. Uh, let us know in the Slack. Like I said, maybe an experiment, or maybe it is something that we'll be having. Seems like it could be useful. That is interesting that they did essentially generate a mosaic of your app icons. And- yeah, maybe I can put a link in the show notes uh, so people know what we're talking about, but... But yeah, they just like threw a bunch of our app icons and kind of had this like weird slant to it. Uh, so yeah. So here's a question: You've been considering revamping your app icons and putting your company logo in like the bottom right corner or something? Oh yeah, yeah we did. Okay. <laughs> but That's nothing that happened. Only one of, of them's shipped yet. Okay. So I'm curious now what you think about that if they're going to start putting in all these different mosaics with your app icons, because then your company logo would be represented in this image a couple of times at least. I don't think that I'd have a problem with that. I think it's it's kind of useful. It's interesting how Apple kind of repurposes assets that you have on the App Store in different ways. Like they have the that preview videos, um, which before were more of like a trailer. You You tapped on them. And then there's sound and they, you know, show off whatever your your thing was. But now they just show up in the search results and start auto-playing with no sound. So I don't know about you guys, but like if I'm making like an app icon or if I'm making an app trailer, uh, when they change the context that it's viewed in, it makes me think, oh, maybe I want to, you know, do something different with this to, just based on how it's being shown. 
Uh, but yeah, they've been changing a bunch of that stuff. So I think I think when iOS 11 comes out, a bunch of things will probably shift in terms of at least search traffic for people, if not general app store rankings based on some of these changes they've made. Yeah, it's not really a problem of mine at the moment. But yeah, I could see how those videos would be. You might have to consider the different environments that that video would be played in. Well, and some people had videos and got rid of videos because it was better for them to show a bunch of screenshots so they could get more marketing copy on the screen. Uh, For us, I think overall, all of the changes have been positive, but I know some of our competitors had changed to uh, like three vertical screenshots uh, that kind of are like they combined to make one larger image. So in the search results, they had a kind of a larger um larger presence and could put more stuff on there but now it it looks kind of goofy and i think just the auto plane landscape at preview works well for for our app so especially since it auto plays before you would just get it you would have a search result and then you would have like this grayed out image with a play button i think on ios 10 which is kind of not that attractive if people are searching for your app so i for us so far, it seems like it's worked out better. We'll see what happens when it actually ships, though, how it affects downloads and all that. Yeah. I, now, how sensitive to uh, App Store changes like that is your product or are your products? Um, It's hard to say. how. So we have like a fairly large user base, but uh, so they've kind of built up over time. So it's it's hard to kind of measure the impact of those changes. They definitely affect, uh, you know, just numbers for uh, downloads, like if we're the second result versus the first result, which we're normally the first result, it it can hurt hurt numbers quite a bit uh, for, for weekly downloads. But that's why we pay for search ads and do all that kind of stuff. Okay. So one thing I saw the other day on Twitter is uh, kind of the resident iOS hacker guy who cracks into all of Apple stuff that they released. I think he noticed, <laughs> or someone else noticed, that the HomePod firmware uh, was put up uh, on Apple's public servers, and I don't know if, how they found the link, if they're, like, scraping or something like that. But someone found it, and Steve Trotten-Smith, uh, who always likes to dig into new stuff that, that we get, uh, kind of dug into that HomePod firmware and found a couple interesting tidbits, I thought, about uh, the HomePod. So it, it sounds like normally... Uh, uh, he actually found some other stuff, too, that wasn't even HomePod-related, but I guess normally they, like, if-def out all the code so that when you build a firmware file, you're only getting stuff specific to that uh, kind of platform of iOS... But they, he found a framework in the soundboard, or in the, sorry, he found a framework in the HomePod uh, called Biometric Kit that had a bunch of methods relating to infrared camera facial recognition code. He found an icon that showed kind of that, that bezel design, bezel-less design for the new iPhone that we keep <laughs> seeing. Uh, they found the soundboard launcher which is kind of i guess what the app launcher is for homepod he found some evidence that there's like a display on the homepod like a 272 by 340 display supposedly 
And he also found out that there's a gigabyte of RAM uh, in a HomePod, which is kind of interesting uh, compared to Google Home has 512 megabytes and Alexa, most Alexas have 256 megabytes of RAM. So maybe all that audio spatial stuff they're doing needs a bunch of RAM or or maybe all the on-device machine learning they're doing. Who knows? But yeah, I would say <laughs> I it, would be, it was interesting. I'd say it would be more the latter where they're going to do more of these AI calculations on device rather than in the cloud yeah and i think it has like an a8 chip or something like that according to this firmware file that was released so it seems like i could do some you know a decent amount of computation akin to you know what some yeah decently powerful iphone could do i think the a8 was in the iphone 6 maybe and i believe that's the same chip that's in the fourth gen apple tv as well yeah, as I think you're the right. iPhone SE. Yeah. So I might be off by one. You know, common programmer error there, but it's it seems like they just keep shrink like whatever they pick a chip and they keep making it smaller and smaller and using it for all this multi purpose stuff. Well the HomePod isn't that tiny. Well, I mean that for for things like the Apple T V and stuff like that, I think they're pretty power efficient because they just take this old architecture and make it smaller. Yeah. Just uh, just double-checked and looked it up. The A8 chip is in the 6 and 6 Plus, the Apple TV, the iPad Mini 4, the iPod Touch, and Wikipedia has already got it updated to include the HomePod. <laughs> Good old Wikipedia. <laughs> Always on the ball. <laughs> so I don't know if there's anything really to take away from this. I, I thought it was... I, I'm guessing whoever put that file up and made it available at apple is probably not having a very good day uh on today monday as we record uh but i don't know is there anything that you guys get out of this that's useful it probably went up in like some kind of s3 bucket or something like something like that so that they could ship it over to their people overseas to their manufacturers over there to load on their latest uh prototype devices and so that guy's probably not in trouble, but I imagine their process for shipping binaries is going to change pretty soon. Yeah, that the sudden discovery of that probably is prompting some changes, like you're saying, and that's never fun to have to stop in the middle of like the iOS 11 grind to change your distribution process. Yeah. So a couple things that in, that uh, piqued my curiosity a little bit the the HomePod will have accessibility, and I assume that's for um, hearing impaired people, maybe? Because vision impaired people wouldn't necessarily need accessibility features in a speaker, right? So I'm tr- I was trying to run through the, the possibilities in my head. What what types of accessibility would you use with a speaker, with a smart speaker like that? And I was trying to figure out well, how would a hearing impaired person be able to utilize a smart speaker? And that really kind of goes for things like the uh, Echo and Google Home as well. I don't know if anybody has really tackled that aspect. And definitely in something that doesn't have any kind of display, the, those people are pretty much just left out in the cold. Well, it sounds like that there, at least the the thought from looking at this firmware file is that there is a 272 by 340 display. Maybe that that light that we saw um, in the demo, maybe there's actually like a, 
you know, a LED array under there that can show shapes. We'll have to see once we get closer to release, but yeah, so it's definitely not a screen. I or something screen like uh because I was at the conference and I did see it and I saw the top of it and it has kind of like a Siri Siri-esque waveform uh kind of swirling on the top of it. Okay, so yeah, that's I mean, there's a there's a bunch of LEDs under there that can change colors and do that waveform and maybe there's other kind of useful accessibility stuff or just informational, you know, things. They're not going to be very detailed obviously, but Right, you're not You can do a waveform, you can do other stuff too. Yeah, you're not going to show a picture of your kids or something like that, but No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could show uh, like a rudimentary scrolling banner of some kind. I think there was rumors before they announced the HomePod that there would be a screen and Schiller even talked about the utility of a screen on a device like that. And we've got Amazon's got theirs. I forget what they call it, but their show. The show. Yeah, and uh, there's rumors that, and maybe it's more than rumors now, that Facebook is going to release something very similar. So, you know, just because it's in the firmware doesn't mean it's in the shipping hardware. It's quite possible there was a prototype that included a screen or a different screen. So it's yeah, all kind it's of speculation. True. Yeah, that's and what we're doing here. Yeah. It's quite possible the firmware is just a misdirect as well for the, you know, everybody's kind of scrambling to one up. So who knows? You know, well, we'll, we'll know if, more in, in, a, in a few months. Yeah, but the fact that Phil Schiller said it needed a display, I wouldn't even call like what Sam's describing like a thing that can display like a rough waveform through some kind of film, essentially. Right. right? Yeah, that's basically yeah, what w- it seemed like. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that, that a display. display. Yeah. So maybe maybe he just meant in terms of some type of indicators being necessary, rather than just like a colored LED. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that actually, how this pans out. Yeah, I think at pretty the time much... I, I, go ahead. At the time I interpreted his comments as being the voice interface is not going to replace the utility and effectiveness of a screen. Like, you're still going to want a screen, whether it's a phone or something on the device itself, gotcha. to actually do something. But okay. um, then Amazon came out with their next version of echo that had a screen or something you know in the family echo family with a screen so you know facetime and some other things become a little bit more useful with that device yeah so i have a show and as far as the the value add for that screen i i don't see it as being a big value add at this point my my main goal with it was to kind of replace the ipad that i prop up in the kitchen window when I'm cooking dinner and it's, yeah. it's not there yet. You know, um, Netflix doesn't have an app for it. Uh, you can play prime video on it, but there's... I do think recipes is probably one of the better use cases for something like that because those devices are often, seems like they're in the kitchen area. Yeah. And I haven't really tried that yet, but and honestly, I'm really kind of bad about, exploring the amazon skills market i know there's thousands of them now which is kind of a testament to its popularity but i think a lot of them aren't built for the show yet the the show still emphasizes a voice input over a touch input 
So there is no like app launch screen, like a springboard or something. You just tell the device, I'm not going to say its name. You can just tell the device to like open this thing, like play Jeopardy or something like that. And then it knows how to do it. But so it's, it's kind of, kind of foreign to me in a way, but I'm with you though. I thought when Phil Schiller said that this thing needs a screen, and all smart speakers need a screen that he was going to take an iPod and, and basically glue it to a good speaker or at the very least a uh, like a iPad mini or something. Uh, well, actually, they just did. They discontinued all the iPods this week, didn't they? Except for I guess the iPod touches left, but the yeah. nano and mini are gone now. Right. Yeah, I meant like and a, shuffle. a nano or a touch. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Nano and shuffle. The mini has been gone for years. <laughs> Just kind of sad. Yeah, but I, I think you know, probably the biggest market for those devices were kids at that point, at this point. And there's enough uh, secondhand iPhones that parents are able to hand down to their kids that yeah. those things just aren't selling. Uh, and we still don't see very frequent updates to the iPod Touch either. So, you know, that one might not still have the much Still has the A8 in it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> their go-to chip right there right so clearly i am not made up for design work at apple since i thought they would just you know slap an ipod on top of the speaker or something but uh there was a interesting article that made the rounds in the last couple of weeks or so of it was called when to use a hamburger menu so to me this, this would have just been basically a bunch of arrows that all pointed to no you know, questions like, do you have a lot of content? Still says no, or, you know, anything like that. But Google, on the other hand, they uh, they definitely have pushed the hamburger menu over time. Yeah, it's become less of a, a, a user de facto standard to a semi-indoor standard, and a good percentage of the Google apps, on the iPhone anyway, use the hamburger menu. Yeah, although they are sort of moving away from that to this uh, bottom bar kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Android developers if you if you knew any have like an intense hatred for bottom tabs cuz for a long time, you know, apps would come out on iOS and then people would be like, "Oh yeah, we need to do Android too." It's always it was always an afterthought. Uh, it may not be anymore obviously, but then they bring in the Android people and are like, all right, just copy the iOS app. We want the bar on the bottom and all this stuff. And and their guidelines have always clearly yeah, said, you know, tabs like that would go on the top. And yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, for a long time, Android developers had flat foreheads because they were smacking them so much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as as the screens grew, I think Google finally gave in and was like, all right, these should go on the bottom probably, so people can touch them with their fingers. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely that. And, and you know, I think these days that's probably one of the biggest issues with the hamburger menu because it's in the top left corner as opposed to somewhere more reachable by the thumb. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the, the gist of it is, you know, for years user experience studies have shown that anytime you hide menu options behind, whether it's the hamburger menu or the more tab or anywhere, um, kind of out of sight, out of mind, your discovery goes way down on those features. So things that people are going to do 
all the time. You want front and center, you know, whether it's a tab bar or a home screen menu or, you know, some other navigation technique that doesn't hide things uh, from the user. But in practice, there's always these other things, whether it's Facebook or, or, you know, Pinterest, whatever the app is, you know, there's always extra stuff beyond just the 80% usage that you need a place for. And the hamburger menu has been kind of a convenient place to put that. And these popular apps like Facebook trains people about the hamburger menu. I, th- I think you go back five years ago, pe- people were probably really confused by the hamburger menu. But these days, it's just so common that like even mobile web apps, that's like the predominant menu option on a mobile web app these days. So, But I can I can counter that with some contemporary examples because I've been getting out and socializing more with people that are not programmers. And uh, we use a Discord chat to play this game. And it turns out that a lot of people don't know what that hamburger menu in the Discord app is. The, you tell them, tap on the thing with the three lines, and they're like, oh, wow. That's a button? <laughs> I can get a whole bunch of places. <laughs> I know a lot of a lot of people use Facebook for a long time and you know for a year plus with that hamburger menu in it and never tapped on it. Yeah, you know, years ago. So I I don't disagree that it's less discoverable. It's just it's a l- little bit more or maybe a lot more understood these days than it was five plus years ago. But five plus years ago, we thought it was understood too. I, I think it's a it's like a power user thing. It's not something that normal people realize. Because I remember we were kind of like, oh, yeah, all the apps have hamburger menu, so let's put it in our app. And we put it in the app. And there's kind of like three main features that uh, people use in the app, and which is perfect for like a tab bar. But people couldn't find them after we put in the, the hamburger menu. They would only find what they could get to from that main screen that had stuff that was visible. So... I remember going to a user study and we were like, hey, we'd like you to perform action X. And the people would like just stare at the <laughs> where is the, at the screen and they had no. Cl- yeah, I don't see it. They're like, I don't I don't see that. That's not here. So I it was true then. And it doesn't seem like it's gotten much better. It may be a little better now. But if if you have a feature you want people to use, don't put it in a hamburger menu is is a kind of the gist (laughs) it's it's out of sight out of mind yeah generally speaking it's the the primary function of your app shouldn't you shouldn't have to navigate to it it should just that should be what the user where they start dropped into yeah yeah it you should be um uh, what's the word you know it's it should be intuitive and, and it should bring you right into the context of what you're trying to do and not not make it challenging. But, you know, like I said, there's always these other things, whether it's like it's on Facebook or, you know, help menu or registration profile, that stuff that you probably do once or twice a year. Um, you know, that stuff is fine for the hamburger menu. Oh, yeah. If you don't want your users to use that feature or if it's just for power users, yeah, throw it behind a hamburger menu. Perfect place for the sign out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really surprised how it is that Apple has not added a hamburger menu like Google has. But 
I mean, I guess it makes sense. They've done these. I'm sure they've done these same studies too, and they've seen the results. Is you know, no one understands how they work. Although there's other decisions that are confusing. Like uh, for a while, do you remember how Apple was trying to push us to put all of the settings for our app for our apps in the settings app, not have our own settings in our apps but i don't think that ever really caught on either so apple's not infallible either (laughs) so right so apple actually did in one of their wwdc design sessions pretty much came out and totally slammed the hamburger menu yeah they never for good reason yeah Yeah. i mean you shouldn't use a hamburger menu don't use one if you're listening to the (laughs) podcast and that's why do anything you can to avoid it that's why they haven't put out one of their own they're dead set against it even though arguably the tab bar as soon as you start filling that thing up with options it becomes a de facto hamburger menu yeah the more button is no different in my opinion other than the fact it's a little it has a word on it instead of just an icon usually yeah or three dots right yeah three dots and more or whatever the standard icon is and you know we've seen that anything in the more is is just about undiscover as undiscoverable as anything in the hamburger menu and honestly sometimes trying to program stuff that gets shoved into that more menu it gets a little tedious or hairy because it's in a table view which is in a navigation controller but it's a ui more navigation controller and there's there's different behavior based on whether something is in that more menu versus actually on the tab bar. And so it, it can it can cause bugs in your app. So from a UX perspective and from a programming perspective, it's best just to avoid the thing. A lot of it comes down to designing your information hierarchy in a way that isn't too broad or deep. Um, figure out ways of, of eliminating unnecessary bits. Yeah, I like this old saying called "Your data is showing." Yeah, if you're if you're putting basically an Excel spreadsheet in an app, your data is showing. But if you could get that same message across with a graph or some kind of graphic, then you you are going the extra mile and presenting the data in a more meaningful way. So yeah, a hamburger menu is definitely a bad UX smell. I know. People talk about code smells when you see something that's like, oh, that just doesn't look right to me. But yeah, it's it's definitely bad for for users. When and anytime there's a hamburger menu, you should be rethinking what you're trying to do, how you're trying to do it. If you yeah, if you have one. Sad thing is, I think by the time I was off of that project that we all three worked on, the more menu in that app would scroll on most. Uh, larger iPhones because it had so many different things in it. It was it was definitely a case of the business asking for a lot of different things that really just didn't belong in they weren't they didn't go with the focus of that app in particular. And that app was it suffered from a, a lack of focus, I would say, towards the end there. But if you find yourself in those types of situations, it's I bet even your UX designers would like to step back and refocus on how the app should look and how it should handle its data. So are we off are we done with our soapbox here? Yeah, yeah. The uh 
also say that we're programmers, so <laughs> you know, if you want uh, UX advice, uh, there's probably some good UX podcasts out there too. Yeah. Um, but you know, general rule of thumb is try and simplify the application, keep the information hierarchy as straightforward as possible, and get the users to the most important part of the application right away. Yeah, uh, you know, Apple was never known for doing a lot of UX studies. You know, they were kind of notorious for uh, doing everything kind of in-house and not necessarily, you know, giving somebody a free coupon in order to do a UX study or paying them $50. You don't necessarily get, always get the best, uh, uh, most relevant candidates. I think, didn't Steve Jobs say that most of the time if you asked the user what he wanted, that he would just say he wanted it faster, cheaper, yeah, I, I think like when they were talking about, I think it was the iPod and and probably other products as well. They weren't, they didn't see the value in asking the user what they wanted because you know they were trying to come up with a different way of doing it. They knew what was on the market didn't work well, um, so there was a bit of a existing biased uh, viewpoint of how things should work. So it was more of a matter of like kind of breaking down those those biases and coming up with a, a new way of doing it and kind of that touch click wheel uh, you know I don't know how novel that was but at the time it, it was the, the click wheel was pretty pretty novel pretty new yeah yeah I think it was like the click wheel combined with iTunes you know I think one of the biggest problems with mp4 mp3 players was uh just managing the content and getting it on there and organizing it, you know, back to kind of that information hierarchy. You know, you can have a thousand songs, but on the device maybe, but how do you organize it? How do you play, find the song that you're looking for? How do you create a so, playlist? And yeah, 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 all kinds of things. And it, it's funny because here we are, what, more than 10 years later now. And while iTunes was the solution, it's pretty much become the problem, right? It definitely has a lack of focus on user con on content. Yeah, it's 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 a music player. It's a video uh, player. Video. It's a video rental store. It's uh, an app store. Or yeah, it's well, an app it's store. Not technically. Maybe, um, well, it fronts the app store for phones. And you can manage your devices in it, and you can reset and update your devices. You can back them up. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's got a it, lot. It's a yeah, I. I'm kind of surprised they haven't broken that out. At least the music player, they've got a separate app on the devices. So, you know, I kind of expected a separate app for uh, High Sierra for the music since they've been pushing that so heavily. Um, I don't know if they have a separate app for Windows or not. Well, and when you click that little device icon in iTunes, it essentially is a a hamburger menu to get you to all the device stuff. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, and just a different icon. So, um, I I think to some degree the takeaway from Apple is that UX studies are great, but they're not always right. You know, they're it, it's it's another data point. It's not necessarily going to tell you the exact right thing to do. And they're not exactly cheap. So if you're a, if you're no. a indie guy, you're probably not going to do it. Unless you take a bunch of your friends out to a bar and say, here, try this out, and I'll buy you beers. Yeah. And, 
if you're not careful, you can end up tampering the results anyway. You know, you got to have kind of open-ended questions and you can't guide that user too much. You got to let them try and solve a problem. But, you know, it takes a little bit of experience and um, interviewing and, and, and lightly pushing skills or questioning skills to get the user to try and accomplish a goal and, and figure it out on their own and not have a preconceived notion of what they should be doing. Yeah, although to go back real quick to your comment, Alex, that we're not designers, listen to a design podcast, uh, especially like me, I'm an indie, so I am, I do the design stuff, and but you guys have been doing that design stuff, you know, for, it's almost been 10 years at this point, so I I would consider you guys as knowledgeable as, as UX designers as well, so give yourself a little bit of credit before we move on, but... <laughs> I think, you know, to some degree, to be good at development, you have to understand the design side. Um, you, you have to pay attention to the con- common idioms. And, you know, the hamburger menu is one of those things. Like, like I'm a little more kind of in the gray area with the hamburger menu because I do think once something is common enough, it becomes a bit idiomatic and it's less of an obstacle. Um, doesn't mean you should always use it. It's just... I don't think it's necessarily as bad as never use it, just use it sparingly and use it for the right reasons, you know, which is kind of what this article that kind of prompted this conversation was about is there are scenarios where it's not so bad. I don't know. I, I guess it's definitely hard to say anything in, in absolutes, right? There's always going to be an exception to some kind of rule somewhere. Right. And, and part of it is like having experience is knowing when it's okay to break those rules. You know, I think as you're starting out, you want to follow the rules and good guidelines. And then when you get more experience, you know when it's okay to break that rule or a rule. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, You know, in terms of other things going on, uh, there was an article that kind of made the rounds recently. I don't think it's necessarily a new article. I saw something similar a few few months ago but a company kind of cracked how the apple gift card uh computer vision stuff works so if you've ever redeemed an itunes card on your phone you can use the camera or even on your computer and it'll very quickly identify and uh capture the text from the card it's really slick the way it works and as it turns out kind of the secret sauce is uh is a specific font that the computer vision is looking for and dimensions of of the text or the box the text is in. So, you know, those two things combined, you can pull the font out. The article, I think, lists where you can find the font, but you can create your own cards if, as long as you use the right font and dimensions. Well, yeah, I thought the big thing was this, is if you wanted to, like, create a card that you could give out with a code that you could distribute your app with, uh, to whomever for whatever reason uh, kind of like those Starbucks, Starbucks things where you know they had the app of the day and you could get the card and you just open up iTunes and scan it there's Starbucks had a deal with Apple so they Apple you know helped them print out their apps apps of the day or whatever they were um, but if you want to be able to give away your app in that way yourself you can do it now as long as you generate some promo codes through iTunes Connect you can just 
print these out and use them however you want and use it in the app store. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's definitely cool. It's something that it would have been nice for Apple to have maybe shared that as a public thing before somebody shared it for them. Yeah, but you can do it now, so hey, <laughs> yeah, <no> big, <laughs> whatever. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. May work for your app. It may, I mean, yeah, may not work for other apps. It may not be, there may not be a good use case for it, but it's a thing that you can do. So put that in your toolbox. And if you, yeah. you know, want to do some kind of marketing push where you're handing out cards with your app on it, then. Yeah. And feel free to email us images of those cards. And <laughs> yeah. So I think that's about all the time we have left this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I am at Sam Corder. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst. Uh, come join us by going to chat.sharedinstance.com to get an invite to our Slack uh, and talk about all your cool use cases for these, uh, these promo code things that you can now make. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Stretching there a little bit. <laughs> yep. Just come to the... Come to the chat. Haters gonna hate. Always. So, did you watch the Tesla event on Friday? Yeah, it was kind of underwhelming. Yeah, I didn't watch it because I was kind of confused about how to watch it. I didn't <laughs> want to have to, like, register or pre-order. Oh, yeah, they did kind it. of, it was kind of misleading. You had to, like, put in your email and stuff, and then you got to the screen to watch it. But it yeah. basically, it, it reminded me of like an Apple event where they basically, you know, they launch the phone, but then they spend most of the time telling you about the new OS features, which you've known about for three months. I guess that's kind yeah. of how the event went to me. Although the there is a bunch of interesting like um, motor, motoring, motorist or whatever um blogs and magazines that got access to it and and those re reviews came out around the same time and were kind of useful so yeah it didn't sound like there were any real surprises or anything just um it did sound like you know with what's shipping you can easily get up to sixty thousand. so you're not that far off from an s at that point oh yeah it's definitely i mean it's it's priced in line with like a bmw 3 series so if you want to if you want a model three then you get the base if you want it cheap and as soon as you start you know trying to max out the features then you're like oh well do i want that or do i want the next level up just like uh you know like a five series or something like that you would get so it makes sense i don't think anyone expected it to be like you get all the things for $35,000 so <laughs> well that's what i was trying to figure out like when they were um when I went to the Tesla store, it's like, so what's the difference between a three and an S? Because I don't really see any significant difference in well, features. Well, smaller. <laughs> yeah, it's smaller. The I mean, the uh, yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't have the instrument cluster. Um, you don't have a key fob. It looks like you get a you use the phone app, or you use uh, like a card, which is interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Um, like what else was RFID different? chip type of thing? Yeah, the cards RFID. I think you oh, can use great. <laughs> you can use you can use their Bluetooth phone though for I, I'm assuming for like if you get near it'll unlock or something like that. Um, but there's no key fob at all, which is kind of interesting. They have 
It's a manual trunk. It's not a hatchback. People like the hatchback on the Model S. It's smaller than the Model S. Uh, and there's some other features that are standard in the Model S it doesn't have. Like, there's no air suspension at all. Performance isn't as good. So, I mean, there's a they've differentiated it quite a bit, I think. But Performance not being as good sounds more like a software thing that rather than a hardware thing. <coughs> it could it could partially be, but uh, oh, one's the uh, single engine versus the dual engine for the all-wheel drive. Yeah. Probably is part of that difference. So there's a bit of hardware. Hmm. And they're dropping the rear-wheel drive version on the S. Hmm. So anyway, that's what happens yeah. when you walk away from your mic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll throw this conversation on at the end. <laughs> It'll be like our after show.